Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. One, two, three. What is now? On ESPN Radio. I, I still am just mystified with myself. And I will never forget Andrew's reaction from behind the glass when I when I actually acknowledged it, too. Stevie Wonder is just one of my favorite artists. That is seriously, I know I say this all the time, and you probably think I'm a broken record, but that is seriously one of my favorite songs. I think it's one of the greatest songs, one of the great love songs ever written. Uh, it's just, it's the, the buildup is so great. I used to put that on every burned CD that I made. And uh, I realized earlier this week we had never played Stevie Wonder on the show. How is that possible? So I saw people listen to Stevie Wonder every day. Well, as always, by one of the all-time greats. Welcome back to Nuanas Now. Hope you're having a great Friday. I've got to tell you, we're going to have to play that song again when Rajim's in because I just got to get Raj's thought on this as well. Rajim Seabrook usually joins us here uh, on Fridays. But he's hanging out with his little man, hanging out with his son, last day of school for the Q-Man, so uh, doing the dad thing, so that's all good, and uh, Raj will be back uh, next week. If you missed anything in the first hour of today's show, you can always find it on the Nuanas Now podcast, which is probably presented by Blackfoot Communications. Visit GoBlackfoot.com. Com to see how Blackfoot can help you and your small business. We talked more about our conversation about American folk heroes. We also talked about the latest uh, FCS poll. Hero Sports poll is out. Six Big Sky teams in the top 25, including Montana State at number three and Montana at number 16. We also had some news in the coaching world. Sam Bagley, the new head coach at Missoula Sentinel for boys basketball. Steve Keller, who retired at the University of Providence, is now an assistant coach for the Rocky Mountain College women and then Kirk Paulson, the former now head coach of Carroll College men's basketball team, uh, he stepped away as well, so we talked about all of that. We also had our Garden City Spotlight talking some state championship tennis for both the Missoula Loyola boys and the Missoula Hellgate girls. We also had our Treasure State's Best highlighting some of the best individual performances from across the state of Montana in high school girls and boys track and field. The Nuanas Now podcast, available on all your various podcast hosting platforms, also presented by the M Store where they're all grizz all the time. 
and the Montana State Bookstore, your best place to get blue and gold on game day or any other day, anytime you are on the Montana State campus. Let's talk some NBA Finals, first and foremost. Um, last night's game, you got to give the Heat credit for fighting till the end, especially because they weren't making anything. They couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Uh, I, all I could think of during last night's game were two thoughts. One, when the Nuggets get rolling, I know it's just low-hanging fruit to, to call them this, especially because of the guy who's running the show. But they're just a runaway freight train, man. When the Nuggets are coming downhill at you, I don't know how you stop them. They they move the ball so well, they hardly ever take a bad shot. The, the two-man game between Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray is, is, I mean, at this point, it's not only the best two-man game in the NBA. It's one of the best two-man game ever. Like, the way that they play off of each other, the fact that they can both pick and pop, the fact that they can both read ball screens and they can both do things off of ball screens, and the fact that Jokic is just so big, it's 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 crazy how how good they are offensively and how efficient they're operating offensively. The second thing I thought though was if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and the rest of the Celtics are watching this, they got to just be banging their heads against the wall because the Miami Heat, especially the Miami Heat role players like uh, Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent and Max Struess, you're, you're probably thinking who. All those guys literally couldn't miss a shot against the Celtics, and last night they could not make a shot. They were awful, all of them, shooting the ball, and uh, Denver has little problem uh, dispatching uh, the Miami Heat. So uh, a statement, certainly for the Nuggets in Game 1. The the house was rocking in Denver. I was looking online, cheapest tickets available there in the Mile High City were over $500 to get in there. So Denver certainly relishing their first ever appearance uh, in the NBA Finals. The city of Denver, I mean, is relishing this this first ever appearance. Um, I mean, I, I think it was conventional wisdom that the Nuggets, who have been so good at home after having such an elongated break after sweeping the Lakers, would be sharp and would be uh, hard to beat in game one. But, Andrew, what did you think of just the overall statement that the Nuggets made? Because, I mean, the Heat, the heat kept fighting even though they couldn't buy a bucket. But when Denver gets rolling, man, they just they just look indomitable. I just don't know how you possibly stop that team. Yeah, concerning for the Heat, certainly. I mean, they had to win the fourth quarter by 10 to even get back and lose the game by 11. Uh, you know, it just didn't seem close really at any point in that game. I mean... The Nuggets didn't shoot it well either. They were, I think, 8 of 27 from 3. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. was 2 of 11 from 3. Murray was 2 of 7. They still win going away. Um, It just seems like they're fully in control, and it seems like... I think what what touches on what you're saying, they just have so many different ways to beat you, right? I mean, we saw it last night with the Heat. You know, Jimmy Butler didn't have a great game. He wasn't able to get to the free throw line. In fact, none of the Miami Heat players were able to get to the free throw line. But but he wasn't attacking the basket at all. I mean, conference fi- or it was an NBA Finals record for two. least free throws in a in a game, right? Just two for the Heat. Two free throws by Haywood Highsmith shot their <laughs> only two free throws. That's a terrible sign for the Heat when your two best players aren't perimeter player. I mean, Jimmy Butler's a guard, quote-unquote, but he he scores all of his buckets inside 18 feet. So, it's a bad sign if you are the Heat, if you're not getting any free throw attacks. Well, and that's what I'm saying. If the Heat aren't attacking the basket and then their role players aren't hitting shots from outside, they're done, right? But yeah, with, for sure. With, my, with, with Denver, they sh- their role players shot it poorly from outside. 
Nikola Jokic only took three shots in the first half. And only took, but he had like 11 assists. He only took 12 shots for the game, but their their big man wasn't the, the scoring hub of the team. And they still score 104 points. They still win it really comfortably. It's just they've got so many different ways to beat you, and I think that's really concerning for Miami. Sports Bet Montana, proud presenter of our NBA conversations pretty much daily throughout the end of the NBA playoffs here. Uh, no matter where you're at in Montana, Sports Bet Montana kiosk close by. Just visit their website, click on location, and you'll find a list of all the locations. It's in, it's in alphabetical order for you, so you can just scroll down to the town you're in or that you're looking in, find it, and uh, be a part of the action. Go make a bet there at Sports Bet Montana. You know, I said yesterday during the show that if I was Miami, I would try to make Jokic beat you with his shooting, with, with I would try to make him drive within the paint and then take two-pointers over and over and over again because when Denver starts rolling offensively, they're just so good shooting the three. And and to be fair, Denver actually didn't shoot it that well last night. They were 8 of 27 from beyond the arc. That's just shy of 30%, so that's actually pretty poor. Michael Porter Jr., who's been one of the breakout players for the Nuggets this playoffs, he was just 2 of 11 from beyond the arc. Jamal Murray, who did have 26 points and was 11 of 22 from the floor, uh, he only was 2 of 7, though, from deep. So that's the other bad news for Miami is Denver can certainly shoot a lot better. I mean, credit to the Heat. They did keep the Nuggets about 16 points under their single-game average. But if Jokic... I mean, this is this is the stat line where you will never beat the Nuggets. If Nikola Jokic has 27 points and it only takes him 12 shots to get there, and oh, by the way, he also has 14 assists and 10 rebounds, you are losing. He is, you. That just means that the Nuggets for sure shot 50% from the floor and that they uh, rolled you offensively. Yeah, the one good thing, I think, for the Heat is that they were able to make that run early in the fourth quarter and they were able to keep Jokic on the floor for 40 minutes, right? I mean, Jokic played 40 minutes. Jamal Murray played 44 minutes in a game that they won in the end comfortably, but Miami kept him around long enough to put a lot of minutes on those guys' legs, and Miami, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler only played 38 minutes, so maybe maybe you're putting in the work now, tiring those guys out, uh, you know, Denver only played eight guys and really only played seven of those guys. I think Spolstra managed his bench a little bit better. They played eight, or they played actually eleven guys, and they played an eight-man rotation. So not as many minutes on the Miami Heat's legs in the thin air of Denver. Maybe that plays a part later in the series. But when that's the only thing that I think you can take out of the game, probably probably didn't go well for you. New on is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the. Uh, ESPN MT app. We'll come back to the NBA. Thanks to Sportsbet Montana for the continued support of our uh, NBA conversations pretty much every day here uh, on Nuanas. Now, let's play a little football blindside. I'll start. Uh, easy game here. We just come up with questions about a pretty broad theme. Today is football. NFL and uh, college football are both on the table. Anything goes. We have not prepared for these. It's just to promote open discussion and, uh, you know, have some fun. So, Andrew... Uh, one of the pieces of news from today is Junior, or I guess from this week, a little bit earlier on this week, but Junior Bergen was named to the Athlon Sports preseason All-American team uh, as a part returner. And um, I, I remember a few years ago when I was first back in Missoula, the Grizz had Jerry Louie McGee, who actually was a Bob Stitt guy, 
Uh, but Jerry Lewis McGee was an electric punt returner. And I remember uh, a sort of green rookie media member uh, exclaiming after Jerry Lewis McGee had had a uh, punt return touchdown that he was the greatest punt returner in Grizz history. And I had to dig my heels in on that, but I didn't have an automatic answer for who was the greatest punt returner in Grizz history because there has been so many great punt returners and so many great kick returners in Grizz history. Now, this leads me to say that Jerry Lou McGee, aside, Jerry Lou McGee was an All-American and, and played the, the majority of his career for Bob Stitt. Other than that, most of the great kick returners in school history, most of the great punt returners in school history, whether you're talking about Mark Mariani or Lavander Seegers or Jefferson Heidelberger or... Um, Malik Flowers or um, Tough Harris, they all have one thing in common. They all played for Bobby Houck. Then you go and look at Coach Houck's time as a special teams guy, aside from his 12 seasons as the head coach at Montana, and you see unbelievable production as well. I mean, Rashad Penny got got drafted out of San Diego State, first and foremost because of his kick return abilities and then because of his abilities as a running back. But I think Rashad Penny had five or six kick returns for touchdowns during his career there at San Diego State, and Coach Houck schemed up all of those. I remember going through the stats, and I remember at one point during Coach Houck's career, I think the statistic was in the 21st century, so from 2000 when he was a, a grad, or excuse me, a, 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 an assistant and special teams coordinator at Colorado, and then until 2003 until 2009 as the head coach at Montana, and then his time at UNLV as the head coach for five years, three years at San Diego State, and now back at Montana. If you take all that whole sample size over the last 23 or 24 years, I believe the statistic was that a Bobby Houck coached special teams unit had returned at least one kick or punt for a touchdown every single season except for one. Now, to put that in perspective, there's most teams only have kick returns or punt returns for touchdowns like every couple years. Like, I can think of pretty much every kick return or punt return for a touchdown that I have seen in person covering Montana State. I I truly think in in the last 12 years of covering the Cats, I think I've seen three punt returns for touchdowns by the Cats. I've probably seen 20 for the Grizz. That's the level that Bobby Al could do it at. So, Andrew, my question is this, though. There's there's, There's factors that go into this, right? The guy returning the kick certainly goes into it. The unit in front of him blocking goes into it, but also just the scheme of it goes into it. There's a whole bunch of college football coaches, especially when it comes to punt return. They just want the guy back there who's going to catch the ball. That's it. The return is completely secondary. Give me the ball. Give us possession. We're going to start offensively. I mean, Montana State had multiple coaches in a row that wanted to do that. Brett Vegan has a little bit more of a special weapon in Taco Dowler. My question for you, Andrew, is this. Part of why Bobby Houck's teams are so good at returning kicks and punts is because Bobby Houck is so aggressive in the schematics of doing it. Why is there a dichotomy then into his uh, sort of unaggressive nature offensively? It seems as if somebody that would be so aggressive on kick teams and punt teams that would also maybe translate on the offensive side of the ball, and that has not been the case for the Grizz over the last several years. What do you think? Well, okay, uh, I think it's because he knows it, right? He's he's secure and he's confident in his ability to be aggressive For sure. on special teams. And and not saying that he doesn't, you know, know how to coach offense. He, he doesn't 
but I think that the confidence that comes with it, you have to have a foundation before you can be aggressive, right? You don't want to come out here knowing nothing about it and, and be aggressive. And I think that, um, you know, Bobby's experience in coaching special teams has given him that foundation. Yeah. For sure, and I also think that he thinks really he thinks really deeply about the special teams aspect of the game, right? There's I no think question. that's that's why it's made him so successful. It's also what's made him so popular because I would say I, I think some Grizz fans think of this. I think some Grizz fans just love uh, being delirious at games and just rocking the house at Washington Grizzly Stadium. And if that's you, that's fine. That's great. In fact, it's very very fun. But what are the two things that? Washington Grizzly Stadium explodes for the most that almost certainly buries the opponent. It's a huge special teams return or it's a huge hit somewhere either on defense or special teams. But, I mean, how many times have we seen, including last year in the playoffs, when you have a kick return for a touchdown and it swings the momentum to the point that the other team can't even, they cannot even function? And I think that's why Coach Hauk is so popular. I think people love that about his teams. Well, I think they love that they can expect that from his teams, right? I think they love... Uh, you know the feeling of superiority that comes when you're you're watching the other team lining up to punt and and not expecting a big return, not expecting a touchdown return, but you're always thinking this could be a possibility, right? And then when it yeah. happens, it just drives you even crazier. The, the other part that is, you know, we always talk about some some element of good fortune plays into things that happen in college football, particularly when it comes to the Montana schools, because. There's an element of good fortune of the athlete you're going to get in Montana. Uh, three of the greatest kick returners and three of the greatest players in Grizz football history, guys that all went on to do it in the NFL, are all Montana guys. I mean, Mark Mariani was a Pro Bowl kick returner. He just happens to be from Haver, Montana. He walks on the Grizzly. He's one of the great kick returners on the earth during the prime of his uh, football career. Tough Harris, I mean, Tough Harris was the fastest man in Montana for for almost two decades before his record was finally broken in the 100 meters, and a guy that could do it at such an unbelievably high level. So sometimes also you just have the good fortune of those guys growing up. I mean, Junior Bergen's in the same vein, right? He's a Montana guy, and he's, he's the best partner in the country, at least according to Athlon Sports on this preseason poll. Yeah, here's here's one other thing. Actually, I, I'll, I think that that is such an interesting point because when you watch Junior Bergen, you you think this can't be the scheme. This is just because this kid is like such a naturally great punt returner. For sure. I mean, his return for a touchdown last year, I forget who it was against. Portland State. Portland State, where he, he goes down the left sideline. Uh, just an unreal piece of, of not only the shiftiness and the speed, but also the vision yep. that he had to have on that. You watch it and you're just like, that kid is a, a perfectly... Well-made punt returner. That's just that was that is what that kid was born to do. A part of it, though, too, is is the coach has got to cut you loose. That's right. There's a lot of teams in the country where the coach says, "Son, you catch the ball and that's it." That's right. Right. Don't make a move. If you're going to make one move, then as soon as you get any sort of contact, you're down. That, that that's the dichotomy to me, though, is Coach Houck is telling these skill guys, like I guarantee you, before that play, he he went up to Junior Bergen and says, "We got schemed up for you. You're going to score." I, I mean, you can see Bobby sometimes. There, I, there's multiple times throughout the last couple of years where you can see him truly 
okay, we got it. Like, if the if the other team punt protects the same way three or four times in a row, then the Grizz are going to run something where they're going to try to bust it. That's the dichotomy, though, because they hardly ever are just running Junior Bergen on a wheel route up the sideline and throwing him a 65-yard bob. It's just very interesting to me. Well, it's the same way on defense, right? Because sure. my favorite quote from last year was, was Tyler Flink talking about you know, the coaches tell him to try to scoop and score the ball. This is after he returned, the, I think, the Levi Janicaro blocked punt. And he's like, oh, yeah, our coaches tell us to try to scoop it and score it. You know, like, how many coaches in the country are telling their kids just to, to fall on it to make sure you get it? I was like, whoa. That way, there was the play against by Patrick O'Connell against, I think it was Idaho, where he snares the pick. And he's shot out of a can. He looks like a freaking running back in the open. I mean, it was. It was a flashback to his high school days when he actually was a running back. And you're right. I mean, most coaches are saying, get down, get down. But these guys, that's the other thing, though. You can tell that they're coached in this. And if you go to Grizz practices, you see this. And I've teased Coach Hawk about this. The first, like, 30 to 40 minutes of the Grizz practice, right now, if you go down to the River Bowl, you go down to Dorn Blazer Field, it looks pretty much the exact same as when Bobby Hawk was here back when I was in college. Because they do these same special teams units, but they also get the ball in everybody's hands. Pretty much every guy, except for, like, the linemen, are doing drills, shifting the ball in their hands to know how to to run with the ball in their hands. And I think that that's... That's part of it, too. It's just interesting because they do have so much uh, aggression in it. Nuan is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Anything left to add on this one before we move on? One last point to add, and I'm not sure Bobby is thinking um, consciously about this, but I think couldn't you argue that if you had to focus on one area of the game to put an inordinate amount of your time in, wouldn't it be special teams because that would potentially... There are a lot of teams and programs and coaches in the country who are not putting that's right. any time into that, special that, that, teams. That's right. That's right. So every minute that you put into special teams gives you a correspondingly bigger advantage. I mean, so let's say at full strength last year, the Grizz defense is like a 94. Well, they're going against Idaho offense that's like a 92 a Sac State offense that's probably a 94 or a 95. Like even though the Grizz defense is so good, they have their the offenses are also they're putting them like you're saying a lot of time into it. You have chances in games, especially when it's a, a real disparity, and especially when it's teams that don't expect that out of Coach Houck's teams, where, where you're in the, the Grizz are 99 on special teams. There's no doubt about it, right? And you're going against 50s, <laughs> seriously. You're going against teams that are like 63s, and yeah, I mean, that's that's it is it's a it's a huge part of it, and, and it's a, that's a testament too to their physical conditioning because they play a ton of guys who are. You know, on the two deep on special teams, a lot of teams. That's why they're sixty threes or whatever, because they got all the fourth string guys in there. That's not true for the Grizz. Most of the guys that are on special teams are are second string guys that get a lot of playing time otherwise. And I just have to say that that, along with a bunch of other things about how the Grizz special teams operate, just makes perfect sense to me. Like, why wouldn't you want to get that those guys more reps, right? Like, for sure, they're sure there's downside. I think everybody else is sort of calculating the downside a little bit wrong. Their their risk for that is is off. And I think the Grizz have realized that like getting our second team guys actual real reps so that they can develop and also we have a huge advantage on special teams, that just makes sense to me. No one is down ESPN radio. It also creates a culture. It also creates a hierarchy. That's how they determine things. All right, let's, let's do some more blindside football style. What do you got for me? Well, I get a I I got a bunch of stuff. The just to 
stay on Bobby Houck for a little bit, not specifically on Bobby Houck. Why do you think it's so difficult for coaches to jump a level? I mean, we've seen mm. there are a few, a very few FCS coaches who have been successful jumping to FBS. Yep. Those are the kind of hires that happen maybe once in offseason. You, you, even even more rare than that are, are, you know, FBS Power 5 coaches jumping to the NFL and being able to be successful. I mean, that hasn't happened in... An age of days from right now. Why do you think that is? It's an excellent question. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is I think that the FCS, especially the Montana schools, are developmental levels. You're going to, I think it's twofold. One, you, you're going to get a lot of kids that are really raw because of your recruiting area. You're also, though, going to get an over-elevated level of talent because of where you're at sometimes, because sometimes Troy Anderson grows up in Dillon. So, like, if Troy Anderson grew up somewhere else, he would go somewhere else. But because he grew up in Dillon, he goes to Montana State. So sometimes you get... I mean, that, that's been such a trademark of Bobby Houck's career is being able to develop small-town guys, but also having these small-town guys that have NFL talent and then helping them walk the path to get there. So I think that I think it's a totally different game. Like you can be a successful FCS coach if you can identify players that are worth developing and then develop them effectively. If you can handle, particularly in the Montana schools, the pressure that comes with it because you are the biggest show in town by far. You are the pro teams of the state, and I also think that the roster management is a completely different game. Jeff Choate talked about this a lot because he was almost exclusively an FBS coach before he was the head coach at MSU. He said it took him two recruiting cycles to figure out the equivalency of making sure that you got, you have 63 scholarships, but you can split them between 85 guys and you can also have 104 on your active roster. So how do you make sure that all your scholarships are being used? Who are the 85 guys that are getting some money? How do you sort of quote-unquote budget that? That's totally different than just trying to sign 20 to 25 guys per recruiting cycle. All of them are on full rides. I think that's that's part of it. I also think that I think if you truly love coaching ball, like you really just want to be out at practice individually working for with guys, I think that the FCS is going to feed that need. If you're obsessed with coaching ball and you're in the Power Five, I think you're going to be disappointed. I think you're going to have to give up that obsession because I just don't think you get to do it nearly as much. You have so many more logistics to figure out, so many more administrative things to do, money to raise, recruiting to do, all that sort of stuff. So it's a good question, though, because it's not just, you know, the the couple Montana coaches like Mick Dennehy and Joe Glenn that moved up and, and didn't do that great. It's also been... You know, Paul Wolf from Eastern Washington to Washington State, you know, f- fell flat. Um, I mean, Bo Baldwin hasn't been a head coach at the FBS level, but you know, his, his offenses at, at Eastern Washington look a whole lot different than his offense at Cal, and who knows what's going to happen to Arizona State. But, uh, it, you know, it is, it's a good question. You, you hope, as somebody that appreciates and loves this level, you hope the answer is that not that just the jump is too big and that the level of football here just isn't up to snuff, and that's why they fail. But I think that, that 
I have nothing to argue against why that's not true either. That also might just be the case. It might just be too big of a jump. Well, but it's not it's not the same for position coaches, really. It's a lot easier for position coaches and, and coordinators to move really back and forth. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we've, I've, I've talked about this with my brother, Brooks, quite a bit. Because there's just certain assistant coaches that we've covered where early on you know that guy's FBS caliber, right? Like when Gerald Alexander was the corners coach at Montana State for the one year he was, you're like, yeah, that guy's going to be in the FBS like right away because he played in the NFL forever. The only reason he wasn't still playing in the NFL is because he got hurt. And uh, he was All-American at Boise State. And sure enough, he he, didn't, he wasn't even just in the Power Five like that. He was the Miami Dolphins quarterbacks coach in like two years after Montana State. So, you know, you, you see that every once in a while as well uh, where you just kind of know, right? Like you just kind of know that guy is FBS quality uh, right out the gates. No one is now ESPN Radio. We'll play some more Blindside on the other side. Keep it right here. Happy Friday, ESPN Radio. Are you having a bad day? Did you get hurt and it wasn't your fault? Are you in trouble? No matter what has you down, you can take action and help yourself by letting Schulte Law Firm help you. Schulte Law Firm litigates injury, criminal, and civil matters, providing expert advocacy in any situation. Here with Dwight Schulte from Schulte Law Firm. When it comes to criminal defense, what's an example of why someone could or should call Schulte Law? Criminal defense happens on somebody's worst day, you know, and it doesn't mean that someone's a bad person. We all make mistakes. We all make choices that maybe aren't the best choice, and that can lead to dramatic consequences in somebody's life. So we're really focusing on personal injury and criminal defense. We do a lot of different areas of the law, though. We have a strong background in real estate. Um, We handle family law for clients, ton of mediations. The ultimate reality is, is that people have bad days. And that's when you need our help. That's when you need to call Schulte Law Firm because we know the players, we know the game. We can put people in the best position to achieve the outcome they want. If you've had a bad day, visit jschultilaw.com. It's new on is now on 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. The part... In uh, the Jackson's an American Dream, the uh, the old school movie about the Jackson family, where Michael Jackson sees Jackie Wilson for the first time, it's such a great scene, and uh, this shows you the way that the greats can influence the greats, right? And I think Jackie Wilson's old enough that a lot of people, a lot of younger people, particularly, don't know about him, but he's one of the original. He's one of the greats. He set the stage for guys like James Brown and Michael Jackson and, you know, the dancing and the singing and the soul music. Love me some Jackie Wilson. Now is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. There's a relatively new, I'm actually not sure when it came out, but I just got around to it, uh, a new uh, documentary series on HBO uh, about Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq's certainly one of my favorite athletes of my youth, uh, you know, of my life, really. I love Shaq. And uh, it's good. It's certainly worth watching. But I watched the first part last night. And uh, an interesting origin story for Shaq, for sure. Grew up in the projects. Then uh, his mother married his stepfather. Uh, His father was sort of absentee for the first couple years of his life and then absentee basically for the rest of his life. But his mother married uh, a military man and then had three more children. 
and they moved all across the world. They were living various parts of America, and Shaq goes and lives overseas in Germany, and then comes back and lives uh, stateside, and then ends up going to LSU. Uh, that part, I think, is a pretty well-known part of the story for sure. But the part that I was struck by was, first of all, how giant Shaq was when he's little. That's not surprising because he's the, one of the biggest giants that there is. That's why he's such a larger-than-life persona. But Shaq was 6'4 when he was 9. <laughs> he's like 6'7 when he's like 11. He tells this great story about how when he was playing like 11- or 12-year-old basketball league when he's 6'7. And somebody tries to fight his dad because he's like, that kid is not 11 years old. His dad's like, he is. He really is 11. So that part was funny. Uh, The other part that's striking, though, is that how Shaq really wasn't very good at basketball when he was a kid. Even up until his junior year of high school, he couldn't really catch the ball, sort of clumsy, growing into his body. It's it's not atypical of of big guys, uh, you know, traditionally. But I thought it was interesting that, like this day and age, so many of the like the the blue chip guys, the the five star recruits, they're anointed as that when they're like 14, 15, 16 years old. And, and Shaq wasn't that. Shaq didn't burst onto the true national recruiting scene until he was a senior in, in high school. But even then, he had a previous relationship with Dale Brown at LSU. So his recruitment was not this crazy coup. Because he kind of was just fast-tracked to LSU. He, he met Dale Brown when he was 13 and then stayed in touch with Dale Brown via letter. And so then when it was time to go somewhere, he basically just decided he was going to go to LSU. The other striking part about this saga is that when Shaq got to LSU, they had a phenomenal big man named Stanley Roberts who went on to play in the NBA. But even then, Shaq was a, a, a fringe contributor as a freshman. He only averaged six points per game. Now think of, of someone that was going to be like a a Hall of Fame player going to college this day and age and being a bench guy his first year. It's it's just unheard of. Now, if you're like a top 50 guy, you are absolutely like guaranteed to start where you're going, and and then you're probably going to be done after one year. Well, Shaq wasn't done after one year. Shaq stayed three years at LSU. He's a first-team All-American two years in a row, and then he became the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. I just thought it was striking how much times have changed because you can't really be more physically formidable and dominant than Shaquille O'Neal. I I say you can't really be. You can't be. (laughs) He is one of the most dominant athletes in the history of American sport. And uh, it's just striking because I think if – I guess what I'm saying is patience is a key part of sports development. Even if you have some of the most unique and outside-the-box – Gifts that anybody's ever had, just like uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Nuada's now uh, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. We're going to keep playing Blindside, but I got a, uh, one that I we did sort of prepare for because we've been tracking this story, Andrew. Andrew Houghton chiming in here on uh, Nuada's now. Um, Dylan Jones is coming back to Weber State. He took it all the way down the wire. He participated in the NBA Draft Combine. He worked out for a bunch of NBA teams. He played in this new like G League exhibition that helps you get a, dra- uh, a draft ranking. And he was certainly amongst you know the like top 50 or 60 guys. That's what you need to be to get invited to this kind of stuff. But he takes it down to the 11th hour, about an hour before the deadline. He does withdraw his name from the NBA draft. So Dylan Jones, who was my vote for both preseason and postseason MVP in the Big Sky Conference last year uh, at Weber State, he will be back 
for his fourth year eligibility and uh, his third full season with the Wildcats. So uh, your thought, I mean, he he and Anand Moody are certainly the most brand-name players that are coming back. Anand Moody, of course, of the Grizz. But Jones is of a different level. I mean, he's he was the lone remaining first-team All-League talent that still had an opportunity to play in the Big Sky, and now he will. Yeah, that's exactly right. Completely different levels. That's a good way to put it because, I mean, this raises the level of the entire league, right? This raises the level of a random, you know, January game against Idaho, right? When you have an actual draft prospect, and that's what he is now. For sure. There is a chance he could have gotten drafted this year. I mean, there were a lot of people saying that he was a top 50 guy for them. Guess what? That's definitely getting drafted. For sure. Next year... He certainly is going to be a draft prospect. He's going to be a draft prospect from the very beginning of the year. Having that player in the league just raises the entire league up. As our good friend Sean Rainey from SWX Montana Television commented on Twitter today about this too, even if you're you know, you're know a Grizz fan, you're a Bobcat fan, you don't like Weber State, whatever, it's still way better for the league too to have familiar faces. Like, Dylan Jones was a part of this thrilling, and if you're the Grizz, heartbreaking ending in Missoula last year. But next year, most of the people that are going to be in the stadium are the same people that were in the stadium last year. Having that guy in the stadium as a familiar face, and maybe even a familiar villain, that's good for the atmosphere. That's good for, that this is good for the product at large. Having more familiar faces is is great. I mean, that's one of the things that was that made the the college basketball in general so great is as you get to know guys and you get to start to not like guys from other teams, that makes you want to go to the game. You want to go watch the Grizz. You want to go watch the Cats. You still want to go watch the other guys to root against them. So having a sort of a, a figurehead back in the league, uh, it's certainly uh, good. Duan is now ESPN Radio. Weber is the only team that we're probably going to recognize next year because they not only now have Dylan Jones coming back, but they have most of their starting lineup coming back. Steven Verplankin was an all-big sky player uh, a year ago. I believe they still have the other guy, the the, the other big guy, Alex Pugh. Two. Uh, Alex Two, you're right, exactly. Um, are they the favorites in the Big Sky Conference? Yeah, I think they have to be right now, and I, I, I'm kind of wondering if they were going to be even before Dylan Jones made this decision just because of the continuity that they have. And I, it's so different in this day and age because they're kind of just the, the favorites by default, right? We know what they have coming back. We know what they have coming back is going to be pretty good. Certainly it's going to be really good uh, now with, with Dylan Jones back in the mix. We don't know what anybody else has coming back, really at all. We don't know. I mean, we can guess that Montana's best player is probably going to be on in Moody. Yep. We do not know who is going to be in the rest of the rotation for the Montana Grizzlies. We don't know who's going to be playing. We don't know who's going to be starting. We don't know who's going to pick up the slack. We don't know any of that. We certainly don't know that for a team like Eastern Washington or Idaho or sure. Montana State, obviously. Yep. We just don't know. I certainly Matt Logie could have built a better team at Montana State than what Weber has right now. It could be. We just don't know. And so you have to say that Weber State is the favorites. I think the other team that people, uh, this is a long ways away, but I do think that uh, everybody that's that pays attention to the Big Sky is focusing on the departure of Big Sky MVP Steel Venters, as well as the graduation of Angelo Allegri. And make no mistake, those two guys were two of the best players in the league. That's why Eastern won 16 straight league games last year. But 
Ethan Price was the freshman of the year two years ago, and Casey Jones is a, a very proven big sky starter. And you also have to imagine that David Riley is going to bring in a, a hired gun or two to add to that lineup as well. But I, I do think that maybe we need to remind ourselves that uh, Ethan Price is a a uh, a known name within the Big Sky circle. So I think Eastern deserves a little bit of credit uh, coming back next year as well. But I, I agree. I think Weaver still. I mean, I'm I'm the president of the Dylan Jones fan club. I've been screaming about this kid ever since the beginning. So I, I feel vindicated that he's actually a draft prospect. Because I do think he's incredibly good. But I do think Eastern deserves at least a spot at the table uh, when we're talking. You know five months ahead of the season. Well, agreed. And the only other thing that you can default to when you really have no idea what these rosters are going to look like outside of a couple pieces is just which coaching staff do you trust the most? Which program do you trust the most? That's got to be a big thing that we're relying on right now. And I mean, after last year, I trust David Riley, man. Certainly, I mean, Travis DeCure is high up on that list as well. For sure. But I I think David Riley and what he's done at Eastern, uh, they deserve to be up there just on that alone. Nuwana's Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Three young men from Montana headed to the College World Series. Plus, maybe time for one more blindside as well. Don't change the dial. Keep it right here. At Jewelry Design Center, they can make anything you desire. We have branded jewelry that you'll see across the world and the country and you have full access to our full manufacturing shop you can look in the case you don't have to start out designing something you can see anything that we have in the case that customize it for your personal experience jewelry design center now open in missoula at 2501 brook street across from the montana club jewelry design center your jeweler for life ESPN Radio Missoula. Someday they're going to give me a music show over there on the trail. <laughs> Thanks for always enduring. I know I get stuck on my little kicks. Uh, it was certainly a uh, a soul and funk and disco influenced week, but we got to take it out with a little gospel, Dusty Springfield for you here on your Friday. Nuanas now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, on your Friday. Hope you had a great week. Talked about a ton of stuff today. Top 25 polls uh, for college football are out. A whole bunch of news from across the coaching ranks, both at the high school and college levels, mostly centered upon basketball. Talked some state champions in tennis, some uh, award winners for coaches of the year, top track and field marks from across the state of Montana. Talked some college football. Talked some Bobby Houck special teams. Talked some Big Sky Conference basketball. Talked some Shaquille O'Neal. All of it on the Nuanas Now podcast, probably presented by Blackfoot Communications, the M Store, where they're all grizz all the time, and the MSU Bookstore, your best place to get blue and gold on game day or any other day. A couple Montanans are headed to the College World Series. Alabama freshman pitcher Brock Bladder, Iowa State redshirt junior catcher Ben Tallman, and Nichols State junior infielder Jaden Kay. All of them are from Billings. We're all headed to the NCAA Baseball Championship. So I guess not quite the College World Series. They're in the end of the tournament, but it's still pretty cool. Uh, Bladder, who was from Billing Central, he was a senior spotlight subject of ours last year. And that was a fun interview that Andrew uh, took care of. But the uh, Bladder and the Crimson Tide, uh, they'll host a regional as the, 16 national, the 16th national seed, excuse me, uh, 
they'll face Jaden K's Colonels. So two Billings boys playing each other in the Tuscaloosa Regional. It'll actually be on ESPN Plus tonight. It's actually already going. So if you want to check that out, that's interesting. And then the Hawkeyes, uh, they're in the Terre Haute region, which is hosted by Indiana State and uh, Iowa featuring uh, Billings native Ben Tallman will play North Carolina. Uh, that's Friday on the ACC Network tonight uh, going on right now. So I just thought that was a cool tidbit. Three boys from Billings playing uh, in the NCAA college baseball tournament uh, on the road uh, to Rosenblatt Stadium. On the road to, uh, I guess Rosenblatt Stadium is not where they play it anymore, right? They actually changed the venue. Still in Omaha, though, right? Still in Omaha. I think, don't they still call it? Rosenblatt Stadium? I feel like maybe they changed it from Rosenblatt Stadium. There's one person I know in the world that would know this. If they're listening, my phone is going to ding in like 30 seconds. And if not, I'll ask him after the show. Um, This man loves the College World Series so much that he actually even named his dog after Rosenblatt Stadium. His dog's name Rosenblatt goes by Rosie. So uh, College uh, World Series aficionado, as it were. But either way, it's still cool that uh, there's some Billings kids playing uh, top level uh, of college baseball. Uh, w- one last thing to get to here, Andrew. Uh, we talked about what the poll means from a larger perspective in the FCS with six Big Sky teams in the top 20 of the Hero Sports poll. But what do we actually think of the rankings? Montana State's number three. I think that's predictable. They've been sort of solid there at the number three spot for the last several years in the FCS. Montana is number 16, so that means the Grizz are behind Idaho, who's fifth, Sac State, who's 10th, and Weber State, who's 11th, and the Grizz are just two spots ahead of UC Davis, who's 18th. What do we think of the Grizz ranking in this poll? Well, I think that's I think that's about right from what they showed last season. I, I mean, mean, they finished they finished a tie for sixth in the league last year. So being the fifth team out of the Big Sky is about, exactly it's about where they were at. Yeah, and it just says a lot about sort of where the Grizz are at right now that they are not clearly in that top tier of the Big Sky Conference. And the Big Sky has seen a little bit of a resurgence in its depth in the last couple of years with Idaho coming back and and now. They're good, and Sac State sort of surging. Um, well, those teams are all trying to get to where the Grizz used to be, and right. suddenly the Grizz are, are they are just kind of in with the rest of those teams. I think it's, it's obviously inarguable that Montana State is sort of the class of the conference right now. Yep. There are a bunch of teams, particularly with Sac State and, of course, Weber State having new head coaches this year, that there's a little bit of uncertainty around that could could be contenders that should be playoff teams. The Grizz are just one of those teams, man. There's nothing special about them. Uh, until they prove that there is. And, and I think right. that, I mean, last year they had the talent to certainly be a top eight team. They should have definitely got a seed last year, and they, they just didn't. They had, they had three losses in a row. You can talk about all the different details and circumstances that went into those losses, whether it's, you know, sickness, injury, a dirty hit by Sac State, a bad replay, whatever. The fact of the matter is they lost three in a row, and uh, it, it thwarted what was supposed to be uh, a true run at a national championship. And, you know, even if you just take care of business in one of those games, you probably get a seed. If you if you figure out a way to win two out of those three games, you don't have to play NDSU for two more rounds, and all of a sudden you're in the Final Four. So, uh, you know, the, but the, the Grizz certainly, to me... They're not in rebuilding mode at all. They're in prove-it mode. They have, to, right. they have to figure out, like, if I'm Bobby Helk, I'm looking at that number 16 ranking, I'm saying, guys, people are sleeping on us. They think I'm, right. they we're going to be the fifth-best team in the conference. You know, we're behind Weber. What? Like, Weber has – they don't even have – they have a new head coach. Like, 
I'm using it as motivation, and I just think that you know the Grizz have a lot of of room to improve, certainly. But I also think they just need to put it together, uh, as they haven't been able to do, uh, especially this last season. What'd you think? Last last two on this. What'd you think of Idaho at five? Is that too high for the Vandals? A lot of helium behind the Vandals in the preseason. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a touch too high. I understand why there's the hype behind them. I think that offense with a lot of the pieces coming back in terms of Giovanni McCoy, Hayden Hatton, Jermaine Jackson, the wide yep. receivers, Anthony yep. Woods, the great running yep. back. I I think there are a lot of people who are right to be excited about that offense. I think that losing Paul Mawala is a really big deal. For sure. Uh linebacker who transferred to Georgia Tech, right? Yeah. I think that's a really big deal. I think there are a lot of questions. I mean, you're saying that Idaho is is one step away from being a semifinal team. Wait. I can see a lot of universes where that where that's true. I'd have them more closer to the back of the top ten. No, and that's the thing is it's so interesting how your expectation impacts then the feeling around the rest of your program. Idaho and Montana went seven and four last year. Both of them did during sure. the regular season. Uh, but Idaho won in Missoula and seven and four making the, the playoffs. The Grizz won a playoff game and Idaho didn't. That's right. <laughs> but Idaho, uh, they were they had been bad since returning to the Big Sky and that's all. And they weren't expected to really be that good. And then they made the playoffs, so they were like this surprise team. Whereas the Grizz were supposed to be, the Grizz were a two game disappointment going seven and four, while Idaho was a three game. Uh, sort of notching the cap for going seven and four. So I don't know, interesting. And last point here, maybe it just speaks to sort of the decline of the FCS in general, right? With teams going up to the FBS, Idaho is the team in the second tier of the big sky with the fewest amount of questions about them. Cause they don't have a new head coach this year. Maybe if you're that team, that just means you're the fifth best team in the country. I mean, I don't, the big skies is, is the best conference or the second best conference in the country. Maybe that's just where you slot in. If, if you're, the second best team in the Big Sky, and and it's the same argument for Sac State, who has a new head coach, but is ranked tenth. Weber State, who's ranked eleventh, is that a testament to their program? It is, but it's also a testament to the league, and it's also a testament to the uh, dissolution, or I guess the dilution, I, I should say, of the uh, Big Sky Cowards. More fun topics, more senior spotlights, a whole bunch of other stuff coming at you. It was a fun state championship recap week. Have yourself a great weekend. We'll be back at it at four p.m. on Monday. This has been Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.